we're excited to announce Vaxinexus. It's a free platform using Kinexus technology that allows people who are doing process improvement work related to COVID vaccinations to share with each other. You can share improvements that you've done in your vaccination process. You can see what others are submitting so that you can adopt and adapt or be inspired. We hope this helps spread continuous improvement as we aim to stop spreading COVID. To apply to get a free account, visit vaccinexus.com. That's V-A-C-C-I-N-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast in our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Well, hi, welcome to Habitual Excellence. I'm Mark Graven, and we're joined today by Dan Varnum. He, after 30 plus years as an executive leading large and small healthcare organizations, Dan has now shifted his time to focus exclusively on his passion, and we'll have a chance to explore that today. That passion is developing executive leaders so they can reach their full potential. So he's doing that as an executive coach through his company, Varnum Group, LLC. He has a bachelor's of science in industrial engineering. So I'll say hooray, IEs, since uh, I am also one. And he has an MBA um, from Drake University in Des Moines. So Dan, thank you for joining us here today. How are you? I'm wonderful, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah, well, of course. So we'll have a chance to go back and, and talk about some of your career uh, progression, starting as an engineer working in healthcare. But I thought maybe we'd start at your most recent step. What was your role? What were you doing before you retired from that and got into coaching? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Mark. The uh, So really, as you said, 30 years as an executive in healthcare, uh, 10 of those as CEO of a medical group, six of those as CEO for a um, health system. And then in my most recent role, I was leading a medical group with uh, a statewide medical group with over a thousand providers when it, I was, I was uh, um, a, a co-leader of that group with a physician. And how did, kind of going back to the beginning, um, how did your education in industrial engineering and then business help you? How did it serve you in serving healthcare organizations and patients? Yeah, you bet. You know, when I went into uh, the healthcare world as an IE, you know, back in 1983, that was not a very common career path or even something people understood. Um, and, and people said, what does an IE do in a hospital? Um, you know, but really hospitals and healthcare delivery is all about process. Uh, it, it is all processes and that's what industrial engineers do. And, and so um, the opportunity to have this career progression where I was continually, you know, I started out in kind of an IE world in the hospital, um, uh, but uh, as I got my MBA, 
and by the way, it was a conscious decision to go the MBA route instead of an MHA route or um, a public health uh, route, uh, because I really wanted to think a little bit different. Um, I think healthcare continually needs to be thinking a little bit different, and and so the MBA was 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 the opportunity there. Um, I was on this kind of personal journey, really, if you will, uh, about improving healthcare for Iowans for 30 years. My entire career was was here in Iowa, um, and and it was just very intriguing as I look back on it um, and prepare as I kind of retired and that originally I was trying to do these little improvement projects. And towards the end, um, I was really working to change culture in a, in a health system uh, using many of the same principles that just grew uh, uh, as I developed myself over time. So can you think of an example or what, what is one of those principles that, that scales? Like even thinking today, if some of our listeners are doing improvement projects and then we have some listeners who are executives who are trying to transform culture, what, what's at least one of those principles that comes to mind for you? Uh, you know, one of those is following your values, you know, at the, at the very highest level. And, and you know, when I, you think about the Shingo, um, you know, the cultural enablers of humility and respect and just really getting uh, uh, your head around the fact that everybody and every all the work that they're doing, you know, so it's really all about values. Um, values, I think, drive culture. And so having those values of humility and respect and, and transparency and trust uh, are just so critical. So um, having an orientation around process as, as an engineer, working in healthcare creates, we can call it an opportunity. We can call it a challenge, but I mean, frame it as an opportunity. <laughs> There's an opportunity to help um, educate others who don't have the same educational background in terms of viewing work in, in, in broader systems view or as a collection of processes. Um, before we talk about leadership development and culture, can you think of some times where you helped partner up with clinicians or people who had a different educational background to help them see, as you described it, work as a series of processes? Uh, you, you bet. I mean, I'll just say the value in the OR, I'll use an example, of making changes and improvements in a project type orientation where all of a sudden the physicians are seeing on-time starts really occur on time, um, you know, creates great buy-in to be able to um, understand, okay, then how did we get there? Well, we got there by really truly going upstream and understanding what are the processes that we had to change or improve to be able to make that happen. And, and those those wins, um, whether they're big or small, is what helps create the, the understanding and value of the process. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, helpful instead of trying, a lot of times people try to talk about gaining buy-in for a solution, but if we're focused on um, making work easier and less frustrating for the clinicians yeah. so they can provide better value to patients. Um, that Absolutely. What, what are some of your thoughts on, on trying to build that buy-in around the purpose and the problem before talking about the solution? Well, the clinicians 
are all about what's best for the patient. And, and they're also scientists and they also, like every human, want things to be easy for them, um, just like the nurses and you and I. Um, and, and so really it's, it's a common buy-in, uh, it's a common thread that, that just those individual wins around the success of a process result that makes the clinician's life be easier, the patient's lives more predictable, um, really is what brings it all together. And when you talk about projects, um, it seems like there's an implication there. I guess I'll ask it as a question. Are, are projects enough to change culture? Or it seems, I'm sorry to answer my own question. It seems like you're, <laughs> it seems like you're suggesting that projects are not enough. Yeah. Uh, projects, agree with that? Yeah. Projects are a great starting place to build education, to build understanding, to um, see the impact of change and, and get that, that buy-in. Um, uh, but they're not enough to change culture, uh, because without deep leader understanding of what's going on and, and, and what really is happening upstream, um, or downstream, whichever way, the result of the process, um, and, and, and truly thinking in that way, um, you can't get there. And so as, as you kind of progressed in your work, I mean, from uh, engineer hat to business hat, from projects to culture, when we think about creating that culture or transforming an organization, what, how did developing leaders become uh, such an interest or a passion of yours? Uh, you know, it was um, when I first became CEO at Mercy North Iowa, um, I signed up to attend a class that was actually um, being put on by Value Capture. Now, this was probably in 2013 or so. It was called Enduring Excellence. And it was three sessions that were two days, and it was for CEOs to come together and talk about how to lead change. And it was hosted by um, Mr. Paul O'Neill, uh, who was the CEO of Alcoa and, and the founder um, uh, of Value Capture originally, I believe. Um, yeah, he was part of the founding team. Yeah, founding team. And and John Toussaint, uh, who was the CEO of ThetaCare. Um, and attending that class, um, I a couple of deep, deep things that I that I learned. You know, I have to admit, I went into that class thinking. Um, I had a pretty good handle on things and I knew things and I was checking a box, um, you know, and, and, and uh, I came away from that with a truer, deeper understanding of how little I knew. Um, as Mr. O'Neill talked about uh, his values and the importance of safety in uh, leading an organization and, and the demonstration that that true concern for safety of, of patients and of colleagues and staff. Um, and, and that he demonstrated every day, um, led people to know he genuinely cared about them as humans. Um, and, 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 uh, and then, uh, Dr. Toussaint's conversations and, and learning about, um, really what he'd learned as a physician 
going to Gimba and seeing where work really occurred and, and understanding the details of the work. Um, and in addition to that, really understanding the leadership system um, and the importance of a leadership system instead of projects uh, really helped bring me together to say things, bring things together for me to say, this is about culture. This is not um, about projects and projects can be part of the way, but without that value perspective and the true genuine caring for individuals and really getting to the front line and talking with those individuals and learning what goes on and giving them the tools to, to, to empower them to do things. Um, that's how you really change culture. Yes. And, um, we just uh, a couple of weeks back marked um, the, the 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 one year anniversary of um, Mr. O'Neill's uh, passing. So in uh, the previous episode, we had a chance to talk with um, his son Paul O'Neill Jr. Um, so if people um, haven't heard that, you know, you can go back to the previous episode and and, and hear that you know, some of his reflections around similar points that you shared, Dan and 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 Paul Jr. Along what you were saying around genuinely caring. For people as as as, as humans, um, you know. Paul I, I just I just want to pause for a second and, oh, and uh -huh. like why I had really just three short sessions where I was with Mr. O'Neill, the impact he had on me and and the learning I took away from that about really caring about people. You know, it's not that I didn't I came into it not caring about people. I just didn't see it as deeply as he did. And, and it was just very powerful for me. So a lot of res respect for uh, him through the years and I've always cherished those times. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that, Dan, because yeah, likewise, I, I had personally, you know, relatively limited um, direct interactions with Mr. O'Neill, seeing him speak or getting to talk um, in small groups, but yes, yeah. he, he had an outsized impact Yes. relative to the time um, with with people. It was part of, I think, his what, what, what made him uh, such a great leader. Um, but, um, you know, Paul Jr. was talking about, you know, I think Paul Sr.'s terminology, he would try to gauge if a leader was real about it. You know, so you use the, the word real, or you were saying genuinely. You know, there's a difference between, um, you know, a statement and, uh, you know, the values printed out and, and, and put on the wall or on the website versus really, truly living it every day. Like, can, can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's that's an important point. Every organization on some level will say they, 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 they're trying, they put patients first and they're trying to create a culture of continuous improvement. But then there's sometimes still a gap for leaders to identify and close. So I was wondering if you could share more yeah. thoughts on that. Um. You bet. I mean, one of the things that Mr. O'Neill taught me was when he had somebody who was injured on the job, or I know they even had some deaths at Alcoa, and he created a, a way of communicating that back to him um, throughout this you know, ginormous organization. And he was the CEO and he wanted to know about it. And that really um, created for me a change in perspective about things that I really, um, so then when, when I started having injuries, um, at our health system, I would, um, on multiple, multiple occasions, 
uh, attend uh, a on-site immediate review where we talked about who got injured, what happened, and you know what can we do differently next time. And you know that those are things that take time. And so that genuine concern, it's you know convenience to send a report to my desk that I initial and pass on. Um, it's genuine concern to be there and truly want to deeply understand what happened and what we can do to prevent it from happening again. And, uh, uh, and, and so I think that kind of really in true engagement of what's going on is a big part of, of that genuine concern. And, you know, it truly comes from the heart too. You, you have to really be um, willing and then you kind of build on it. Because quite frankly, the first time you attend one of those and you see what happened and you learn about your people and the situations they're in, you want to be back there because you really truly don't want it to happen again. And you want to learn why it happened and you don't want it to happen to anybody else. And so it becomes impactful to, to make those initial steps. Right, right. So um, earlier, Dan, you said you know, that, that values drive culture. And then we, we've got either intersections or alignment or conflict between culture and strategy. I was wondering if you could, for the audience, connect some of those dots of how do we make sure that value, the right values are driving the right culture? How do we make sure that our culture is aligned with strategy? Yeah. Um, well, I want to just say that culture, I genuinely believe, is all about leadership. And leaders drive the culture of the organization. Everybody's watching their actions, their words, their reactions, even even the little subtle reactions where, you know, you you react and and uh, and and you and you think I got to catch myself. Everybody sees that. Um, uh, I actually even heard uh, during the NCAA tournament this year, Mark, uh, one of the coaches was talking about actually they tape themselves during the game so that they can learn from themselves how they reacted to different things to be able to learn. And that kind of hunger for self-awareness, I think is just so critical for, for leaders to, and, and then this coach talked about how he would actually go back and watch those because he wanted to understand the impact that he had on the team and players by his initial reactions. And so how did he manage that? Um, and and so I, I think that hunger for learning and self awareness um, uh, is really important for leaders because um, that drives culture and and I think it's a a, a, bit of, a complete and so and so then I'm just a firm believer that culture wins every day because without culture that is aligned it is really really difficult to get organizational alignment around a strategy or around key metrics um, because if culture seems to be not genuine, then why would I believe that the metrics that we're pushing for are genuine? And and so that connection between culture and strategy um, is Again, I just don't think strategy can work well without culture driving it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of good points there. And 
I think this idea of self-awareness is is an interesting one. Maybe we can explore that a little bit more. Um, whether it was yourself as an executive or if you're coaching another executive and, and how they're interacting, how they're responding to things in meetings or if they're out, um, let's say, observing a, a huddle or they're, they're out in the workplace somewhere. You, you might not literally have videotape, but I was wondering what your thoughts of you know, sort of having somebody observe and give feedback of like, yeah. you know, Dan, when somebody brought up an idea, you kind of scrunched your face in a way that looked disapproving or because I, I that's something I try to be more aware of lab. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to. Sometimes it's easier to control your words than your body language. Oh, I, I could not agree more. And um, and I would say um, so a couple things. One. I actually, when I would go out to huddles or places where I was having to um, respond, you know, I tried to have people with me, and and not all the time, but but you know, on on certain times, and would ask them, and 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 I also aligned myself with two or three key people that I knew would be honest with me, because um, I'm telling you. You know, when you're the CEO, everybody laughs at your jokes. Everybody thinks that, you know, it's very, very, very difficult to be genuinely honest with the CEO. And and to have those few people that you can really trust who their job is to be honest with you. Um, and so I had a couple of those people with me. Um one of them that I actually um, brought in from the outside and was helping lead our lean team, and one of them who was from the inside and had been a long-term employee of the organization, and just said, "We got to have this bond of always being honest with each other." Um, uh, and then I also think, even in those situations, having um, somebody externally be in that role of coach. Um, who really doesn't have any um, risks or limited risks with being honest with you uh, is important. Because here's here's kind of my high-level picture of self-awareness, if you will, Mark, is that think of three circles. One of the circles is who I think I am as a leader, okay? And then a circle beside that is who I want to become as a leader, who I want to be as a leader. And then another circle beside that is really how others see me as a leader. And trying to merge those three circles together into one so that you're becoming who you want to be, which is who people see you as. Um, and ideally, you know, those are uh the right values that we talked about earlier, um, I, I think is the is the best way to create that. Um, uh, somebody who can really truly achieve that has good self awareness, and I don't know that we ever achieve that. I think that just like everything we do, every process, every work we do, self awareness is a continuous improvement cycle that never ends. Um, uh, at all times, it's you're, we're continually learning about ourselves. I go back to myself. I said earlier, 
when I went to that Enduring Excellence Seminar. I thought I was just kind of checking a box. I learned so much about myself. I became exhausted with how much I had to learn to get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those circles you're talking about, it's sort of like a Venn diagram, not yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much over? How much overlap is there? How do we bring? Uh, that's those a that's a yeah. That's a great Im, that's a great improvement of, of of my example. Thank you, Mark. Well, at first I was picturing sometimes to think of circles within circles, but that's okay. Yeah, because yeah, we, uh, yeah. So I think I, I got the right. It's a Venn diagram if there is overlap to start yeah. with, but yeah, that's a great great improvement. <laughs> and we hope uh, there's, you know, hopefully hope there's overlap. Hope, well, hopefully there's overlap, and and then. You know, if there's a gap, I mean, maybe it's fair to say self-awareness, the ideal state of self-awareness would be perfect overlap between who I think I am and how others see me. So hopefully there's at least some overlap as a starting Absolutely. point yeah. to be yeah. coachable. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yes. And and honestly, again, I, I think I said this earlier, but I just want to reinforce it. One of the most important components of this is willingness. Because if you don't have a willing participant who really wants to become self-aware and wants to learn about themselves, um, it's it's like for all the individuals out there who have tried to lead lean deployments or or any kind of cultural change deployment, um, uh, if it's not genuine, you won't get anywhere. Um, and, and so you have to be a willing, genuinely willing participant to want to learn about yourself to get better. Yeah. And then this gets a little bit meta and I mean, it only half jokingly, somebody could say I'm extremely self-aware, but there might be a gap. Others might look and say, "Eh, I'm not sure your confidence in your self-awareness is maybe illustrative of, of not having perfect self-awareness. Well, and that's why I believe the outside perspective is so important um, to help you with that, because I'm a big believer in 360 feedback to do that. And I don't necessarily mean 360 survey. I mean, conversations with people, you know, that that really says, hey, tell me what Mark does really well. Um, uh, You know, Mark thinks that he does this really well. Um, as a leader, what do you think about that? And 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 really having those genuine conversations about that. And and ideally, one of the values that an executive coach, external executive coach, can bring is kind of a comfort area and a faith and trust that hey, this really is going to be going to be a confidential conversation. Um, and Mark really does want to um, be better at what he does. And whether it's an internal person or an outsider, it seems like part of the role of the leader is to create an environment where people do feel safe. So we often use phrases like psychological safety. Yes. Um, It's not enough. Like there could be a different disconnect in an organization where a leader says, well, I told you to speak honestly. And people still might not feel comfortable doing that. Or sometimes you see it illustrated in terms of someone will say, but I told you I have an open door policy, but people aren't taking advantage of that open door. Might be why aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. It's like you said that cringed face reaction that you don't realize you're doing. Yeah. And, and somebody helps you to learn about that cringed face later on. Mm-hmm. 
And so what, what, what else can you do as a leader to help create that safety? You used the word trust earlier, um, whether that's please give me honest feedback, please speak up about opportunities for improvement in our processes, please speak up about risks or please speak up about disrespectful behavior that might be existing in the organization. Because there's a risk that a leader is shielded Absolutely. from any or all of that. What, yes. what, what, what can you do about that? Um, uh, it's one, actions speak louder than words. As we all know, it's phrase has been around forever. But you really have to um, show appreciation for that honest feedback. And, and again, I probably overuse the word genuine, but genuinely show appreciation for honest feedback and learning um, uh, and, and your actions to act on that. And hey, I really learned from these conversations that I'm doing. Um, I say I have an open door policy and I don't. Let me, what is, we're going to actually make this change so that it really does become more clear that it's open. And I am sorry for um, saying this, but really not demonstrating this on an ongoing basis. So you've got to you've got to demonstrate that through your actions um, uh, to help people get there as well. Yeah. So maybe one other thing we can touch on um, before we wrapped up, up Dan, when you talk about leadership development, and you've led, like you were saying, um, health systems and medical groups. Can you talk about leadership development for physicians and physician leaders? You know, why, why has that been such a, a crucial yeah. interest well, and effort of yours? Yeah, well, one is that physicians are the captain of the ship. They are incredibly intelligent um, individuals. They um, care deeply about their patients. Um, However, a lot of their training hasn't necessarily always set them up to be in those leadership roles for a large leadership role. Certainly, um, you know, at the bedside in the OR, you know, they're clearly the captain of the ship and leading. Um, but in their training, they might have situations where they've been put in where, you know, they've got to demonstrate their ego instead of their humility. Um, they have to do everything as they're being trained um, instead of delegate. Um, and, and so some of these training things that they take on don't set them up to think about the how work really gets done in a large healthcare organization. Um, understanding the details of, you know, they walk into a room, they see a patient, they write some orders or say some orders, those orders are implemented. And, and then they move into a complex process and try and change it in an organization and say, well, I think we need to do this, this, and this. Let's make it happen tomorrow like it was with my orders. And it just doesn't work that way. And, and so um, having somebody that's working with them, and that's where I think a lot of dyad partnerships have worked really well, but also having um, a, a executive coaching potentially working with physician executives that are that are new um, to help them learn how do large complex organizations really get work done understanding the importance of developing these relationships 
and and all the pieces of the puzzle and and how it all works together. Um, and and so as I've worked with multiple physicians um, in the past and and had helped them see things from that perspective, uh, uh, it's just so powerful to watch what they can get done and how they can move um, an organization with their words and their vision and their sight. Uh, and and so I think that um, just the energy that it creates by by getting physicians to be leaders is is a joy. Yeah. And you talk about that collaboration and that um, combination of different backgrounds and, and perspectives. Um, I've also found that to be really powerful, um, but it's fair to say, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty rare for an engineer, yet alone a non-physician to be president or CEO of a medical group. Is that, I don't have the data in front of me, but fair to say. I, I, I don't know a lot of uh, engineers that are, uh, have been presidents of, of medical groups or presidents of uh, health systems. Uh, there, there are not a lot of us out there. That's probably true. Yeah. But um, imagine you've, I mean, you've, have you always at some point built trust at lower leadership levels to then be accepted oh. as president and CEO of, um, let's say, the medical group, or how did that yeah, play out? Yeah, no, I. If you uh, if you were to ask people I've worked with through the years, um, uh, I've always been somebody who just has this curiosity and will go learn from anybody at any point in the organization. You know, why is this working this way? So long before the word Gimba was popular in our culture, um, my curiosity to just say, how does this work? Why do we do it this way um, uh, has, has always been there. And I think that's probably, you know, comes from my engineering background or training, or maybe my engineering background and training occurred because I have that curiosity. I don't know which way it is. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of nature nurture questions when it exactly. comes to our professional directions and, and professional tendencies. Exactly. But you're you're making me think of you know, just as a, a final thought. Um, there's a, a Walt Whitman expression that was popularized um, this past year in the show Ted Lasso. Have you seen that show? I, I well, I'm three episodes in. Okay, so this is not a spoiler, but there <laughs> there, there there is an episode. I won't give you the, the full context, but where Ted Lasso, the character. Um, quotes Whitman, um, be curious, not judgmental. Uh, and I actually, yes, it, with the darts. Oh, okay. So you did see that. Uh, well, I have not. Okay. Go, go continue, Mark. Please continue. But well, it's, I, it's, it, no, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but sorry. my pastor at church mm. used that clip <laughs> as, yeah. as, um, a, as part of his sermon. And that's what actually got me to go watch Ted Lasso. Because that clip of him really talking about curiosity and humility and learning as a leader uh, is just so powerful. So I apologize for interrupting you, but you just got my you got my excitement going. No, it's all right. That's okay. Um, but I mean, I think it, that part of why that resonated with me. It's a powerful scene in the context of the whole series, but. It's a good reminder, you know, as uh, a lean practitioner or as a leader. Um, so it, it made me reflect. Like if there are times I'm 
being judgmental, it's a good reminder to step back, be curious, ask questions. I mean, this comes back to Stephen Covey, seek first to understand. Um, these are always good reminders. Mark, we are we are probably too close because when you said it's a good reminder, I was about to quote Covey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, well, Dan, thank you so much for um, you know being here and sharing some of your perspectives and and your experiences. Uh, if uh, people want to go learn more about Dan and his work, his website is Varnum Group LLC. Dot com. Uh, but Dan, really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for taking time to be a guest. I, I enjoyed it as well, Mark. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Sure thing. I, I, I go go watch the rest of uh, Ted, Ted Lasso season two. Is coming, uh, <laughs> they're filming it. So. Oh, they're filming it now. Great. I mean, Can't wait a little while. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Mark. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast. And please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app. To learn more about Value Capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.